Hi, everybody. Before we begin the show, I want to let you know that my comic book company, Parapet Comics, will be unveiling um, its first issue, Mercenary Kingdom, City of Fire, written by previous guest, good friend of the show, Wesley Johnson. Wesley Johnson, this is the story offshoot of his short film, Mercenary Kingdom, which you can find on YouTube. Uh, we'll give you updates. If you want to know the uh, updates about the comic book, look for me on Twitter and Instagram. I'll give you updates about the location, time, and where. And I'll continue to post updates about where you can purchase it online and digitally. Uh, Parapet Comics number one, Mercenary Kingdom, City of Fire, is coming in the next couple weeks. Location of where it's going to be in a couple weeks also. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram for updates. Thank you. All right, we're here with Allison, and as she knows it's dedication time. Allison, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? I'd like to dedicate this episode to my dad, um, the best man I know, the best man I knew, and just, again, hope that he's doing well, resting in his, you know, final place. All right, we're back on the show, and today we have... Allison Guessu. Just say guess. Guessu. It's deceiving, because it looks like guess who, but it's Guessu. That's the best way to remember it. Guessu. Yeah. I, 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 I was going to... Before you became on the show, yeah. I was like, God, it's going to be hard not to say Allie G. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but that's like my personal, you know, social media handle anyways. It's just the, the closest thing. But yes, I for, for a long time, I, I like that moniker. Does anybody, when you're on set directing... And just say Ali G. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think no. they ever go that far now. <laughs> no, not go that far. Okay, so Allison uh, is a film director. Uh, you can check out the website, which is genieproductions.com. And Genie, yeah. So it, it's pronounced Genie, but spelled D J I N I Productions. And we'll definitely put the link down below. Working short films and also just wrapped up a web series, yes. which is called It's called It's Not You. It's not you. Now, how many how many episodes of the series is there? So when it's um, done or done with post, uh, we're expecting eight episodes, and my goal is to keep them roughly about five minutes long per episode. If I could just talk about it a little bit more, because that's the newest yeah. thing about with for you. Yeah. Um, and you work with previous guest Johnny Stuckmeyer. Yes, I did. Um, how many do you have? How many in the cast? Or so I have, um, you know, six main cast. Uh, you know, one lead, uh, the rest supporting, and uh, the story is uh, basically. So my lead uh, character's name is Lexi. She has had her best friend Steph um, for twenty plus years. They've been BFS for the longest time, and she realizes that Steph is a toxic person. So um, the start of the series basically begins with her, you know, having this realization yeah. and deciding, you know what, I'm going to break up with my best friend. It's non-romantic. Just break up with my best friend and find someone else who will treat me better. It is a little bit honesty because toxic relationships hard to reveal, honestly, yes. discover like, oh my God, this is not healthy for me. Yes. But then it's even a longer process of removing that from your life too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, because again, just 
either from personal experiences or just from hearing other people or, you know, looking at social stories, you just like one of the reasons why this kind of um, spoke to me is because you read and hear so much about oh, you know, I've been with this person for so long. This is the only person that I know. I don't know how to move on from them because of that, you know, history, even if they're not good for me. And so I wanted to um, kind of explore that from a comedic sense because it is kind of a tragic story, but I didn't want it to be, you know, a a, a down or depressing story. So obviously adding some comedy to it, um, I think it could help lighten up the, you know, the, the the mood and um yeah so it's basically just her exploring new friendships as an adult and um yeah trying to find somebody who will respect her the way she deserves to be respected that's very clever because a lot of people i think especially a lot of creative people think tone and theme have to be the same mm. and you don't have to have the same dc comics um <laughs> you can have dark tones dark themes yes. but you can have a lighted lighted atmosphere you yeah know? And, right and i think that's what you're kind of do is kind of you don't have to have the matching theme it, and tone of it. Exactly, yeah. because I naturally gravitate towards like dramatic stories, and you know that's where I, I'd I'd love to to be and stay. But for this story in particular, I felt you know let's not make it heavy. Let's uh, make the lightest of the situation, and comedy is one great way to do that, where you can still engage people, um, still have that message without it feeling like you know they're being taught or having information shoved down or truth shoved down their throats. But right. you, yeah. you you get to see reality differently. I think it was a what it won the best writing for Emmy. I may destroy you. Which, oh yes, which is a very yes. about you know discovery of oh my god I've been a, I've just been assaulted mm-hmm. and then the whole unraveling of okay I better correct this I want to find out what happened mm-hmm. but also the dis- the destruction of it of you know the person mm-hmm. and uh, you know I read a, you and I probably read a bunch of scripts and people's other scripts and I'm the one thing I always I've mentioned the story is um, I like when people don't play it safe I encourage people not to play it safe and go to places that's uncomfortable yes. it seems you did that with the with the series here yeah well, I well I hope so anyways you know because you try to uncover those things that make you uncomfortable and um, even just trying to figure out how to craft Steph as a character to make her likable but realizing that she is toxic you know yeah. um, so that you could understand well why would some because a lot of people you know looking outside looking in always think well why would you be with that person or why would you be in this relationship but then a lot of them probably don't look too much at their own lives realize you know what I do have quite a few people like that in mind that I should set boundaries with exactly but I don't yeah. you know so yeah and it's an encouragement of almost like another thing I critique with writing is I want to you have to like almost have a character that's going to just absolutely break your heart mm-hmm Mm-hmm. every step of the way mm-hmm. it could be the lead or supporting role that this whatever they're going to do is this break your heart like why are you doing this way and um i like when people have reactions to movies because they're like oh this person's awful well that's good writing because right. that's the reaction that you right. wanted you're like why have to be so awful like, yeah. and it's even better when the actor can bring that person to life and you you hate that actor it's like i don't hate you as a person i just hate your character so much that it's just kind of bleeding into you now right so. yes and that's the that's good you need that development of like a spectrum of different characters and some people can do that with yes. seconds of oh my god that's you're horrible right yes yes so how who wrote the series for you so i i wrote the series um so it was my 
kind of first full foray into writing comedy by myself because um, the uh, short film that I had done before Happily Married After I had a co-writer on there Elise Forbes and she was fantastic but that is funny <laughs> yeah and and so this one I was like you know what let me let me try and do this uh, by myself and, and figure out structure because again I, I'm constantly learning as a filmmaker and so uh, once I got all that eight episodes out gave it to a few folks to read just to let me know how you know how they felt about it and you know what they were thinking and then um pete groinham who i'd worked with in the past on one of his shorts um james comet he was like you know what if you need some help and just you know buttoning stuff up and adding some more jokes here and there i can totally help you out wonderful and i was like absolutely i i never turn down help so <laughs> and if anybody didn't know uh peter has been a previous guest and also guest hosted this show oh, really? so that's the same peter groinham yeah, yeah yeah so he's a wonderful person awesome so, guy yes. You don't think that almost got he is, he could write comedy. Comedy is, I think, is very difficult. Yes, it because definitely is. it can go almost tragic. Yes, in a horror movie, but also it can be sometimes funny. Yeah, you have to find that balance, exactly. especially when you're writing by yourself. Like, is that funny? I know, because there was a couple of things where I was like, oh, my God, I am so hilarious as I'm writing out the sentence. And then when you, you know, let us sit, come back and reread it, it's like, what was I thinking? This is not <laughs> as funny as I pegged it out to be or, you know, but um, but yeah, com comedy is a challenge. And because I, I had taken a writing class um, during COVID, you know, because everybody has found an activity or two, um, you know, while we're all shut in. Right. Yes. And mine was I, I wanted to my goal was to become a better writer because I'm I'm not a writer by choice. It's because I kind of have to right now, um, you know, uh, as, as a filmmaker, just trying to develop your story. I can relate because I it's just it's a story that's not in my brain, but I'm not yes. a writer. Yeah. But nobody else can write it but you. So it's <laughs> exactly. almost like a, you have to force yourself to become a writer. Exactly. So in one of the classes, um, the uh, teacher was like, uh, was kind of going through the different um, types of, you know, well, genres, basically, when you talk about drama, comedy, thriller, all that stuff. And when it came to comedy, and I think it was based off of, I forget which Greek person that was, but um, basically, and I'm going to paraphrase, the idea behind comedy is, it's, and the way that I translate it is, it, it is basically tragedy wrapped in a bow. So when you think of like the really tragic situations, you have to find that moment of levity that can help, you know, bring it out of just that somber moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I think you almost like, Okay, this is a disastrous story, but in the writing different hands, it could be funny. Exactly, exactly. So that really helped me during my writing process because I was like, I don't know how to be funny. You know, I, I'm not like a Will Ferrell who would just say stuff and it just automatically funny. So I, I would, I what I did in terms of my writing process was that let me just get the ideas out there on paper and then go back and see, okay what is something within here that can change it? And part of that was like looking at other, you know, web series of different like kind of similar formats where they're very situational, very like could potentially be mundane in terms of life. Yeah. But then you try and pick out, okay, what did they do here to get you out of that element and reading those scripts just to get me, uh, give me a sense of, okay, how can I write this so that it's comedic in nature? One of the inspirations because this could be dramatic but also funny, and I think it's he did really well with it. Is Neil Simon with a bunch of his scripts, uh, Prisoner of Second Avenue, and 
Bianchi Blues and The Odd Couple, which, you know, that is a trick. <laughs> Here's two people. He got a divorce and my life is rotten. Yeah. But that was going to be funny because he moved in with a slob. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I think one of the cores of comedy is contrast, right? Yes. What What's different be- between each other? I think that's why Gene Wilde and Richard Pryor work together so well because yeah. they're completely different people coming from different avenues of comedy you know gene is very he's not he does the jokes but mm-hmm. he's not somebody like a stand-up comedian mm-hmm. but he can do the script and make it funny where you know richard Pryor is very much center yes where almost, he's almost like a gravity like everybody's gonna come to richard, oh right? yes yeah so <laughs> i think yeah especially if you want to write down comedies where is the contrast and then he could work from there exactly a little bit do you like writing during the day or are you kind of Oh, at night or can write anywhere. So I'm I'm not a morning person. I'm naturally a night owl. So I my brain starts to get hyperactive around ten o'clock for some odd reason. At night, right? Yeah. yeah so uh, <laughs> around midnight, I'm like, because I'm married, so I tell my husband, "Oh, can you help me read this thing?" And he's like, "Why do you always have me read stuff for you at midnight?" <laughs> and I and I can't help it. So no, I um tend to write more, you know, in the evenings, when when I set my personal deadlines or like personal goals sometimes i do that you know over the weekends during the day because i I still you know work full time but i I try to set buckets of times for myself like okay yes there are those moments where i wait for ideas or inspiration but then there are others where it's like okay just sit down and do this stuff you know i have to agree i'm kind of the same person where i have to experience a day Mm -hmm. before i can deflate and write and a lot of people can write before they experience the day but i'm i'm not uh, you know after 10 p.m it yeah. starts flowing no I, I come alive after 10 p.m so right. It's- <laughs> right, yeah. and right and i live with an introvert and they're like they, they do the whole decompressing like i have to do this before i go to bed i have to do this to go to mm-hmm. bed where i'm a crasher i have to just keep going till i can't go anymore ba- basically oh i am the absolute same way like my brain again doesn't shut off and then the, the thing is once it does and it's time to wake up that's a problem i'm only laughing because it's the same it just sounds so familiar right yeah and I, I get I, it I'm experienced enough where I can kind of tell if a story has been written at night. Mm, really? Almost like, I think all episodes of True Detective, that person, I think his name is Nicholas, obviously has been writing since 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great that you can tell that. Yeah. Well, it, you, you figure out the necessities. I think if people that write at night, it's a lot more calm mm. to a lot, a lot more just less distractions where people yeah. that write during the day, you can see it's a lot more activity. Ah, I think a lot more, a little more full. I think the person who wrote pretty woman, that's obviously day writing. I think ah. that's more comedy day writing. Yeah. A lot than anybody saying them at 10 o'clock at night, writing jokes. And I think young Frankenstein, that's kind of night writing where you stay up at night and write jokes and yeah. all stuff. So, okay. Are you going to, you like the process of writing? You're going to continue? Um, I, I will continue for as long as I'm able to because it, it is, again, is is the thing of getting the, the stories out on paper because if you can't, because sometimes it's like you have the concept, but then to get it down on paper to like, a, you know, 10 page script, 30 page script, 60 page script, it's, it's difficult. And um, when you're expected to know your story and understand and, and, and know what happens in it, if you don't have it written down, it's difficult to sometimes say what that is because, again, those ideas just come to you on the fly and, and yeah. that's cool, but then that's not cohesive in terms of telling a story. So it really it's you know something that I think I probably will continue to do. And, you know, I, I, 
the the thing that kind of gives me a little bit of comfort and solace is at least for most writers that I've met, most of them don't like it either. So, <laughs> so I think I might be in good company. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that, especially uh, I've written over a lot of scripts. And, you know, I'm writing one now, and I'm writing actually a novel, a novel now. But oh, it's one of those cool. things like it be, starts getting easy like it's so almost sounds like it's an automatic or just become mechanical and just write writing i think that's a good time to stop yeah because yeah. then you're gonna like go back and like what the heck was ah uh, yep i've had those moments where i thought oh the juices are flowing right. and then yeah you look back it's like nope they weren't all right and it's almost like counterproductive it's really weird it's almost like yes i'm writing to get all these pages on you and you go back like what the heck was i doing it's almost <laughs> like i gotta delete all this stuff so yeah um, the notion that you can just sit down for eight hours and crank out a script is kind of deceiving because uh, it's a lot of rewriting. It's a lot of yes. outlining and all that stuff. Yeah. I've noticed, especially for my process, I will start with one character and start with that character. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, another, it goes away. Like that character almost becomes a subplot. And then what really is the core of the story gets flushed out. And that's happened with my graphic novel, The Greenway, when I started with one character. Yeah. Then I realized that's not the story. I uh -huh. gotta go with this one. Uh -huh. That happened with my novel. I got the with the with the novel I'm writing now. I start with one character. And it's like it, that's not. That's just the catalyst. So sometimes yes. the main character for me doesn't really become the main character. Almost becomes a side character. Right, and that's one thing that I try to. So when when I write. I always like to have a sentence, or at least figure out. Is this is difficult to do, but I try to figure out you know obviously we have to know theme right of what is it that we're trying to portray in this story sometimes it's very easy sometimes it's easy sometimes it's not but I, but i knew that for it's not you the goal was to talk about the you know disintegration of um a friendship while building a new one so i just have i had a sentence that was similar to that so that in every episode I'm not losing track of where I'm going with this person and why. Yeah. And, and so that kind of helped with my outline process, my outlining process where it's like, okay, I know I, I want, I, my goal is to hit, you know, seven ish, eight seasons, not seasons, seven or eight episodes. And so we know that there has to be an arc where, you know, the, the, it grows and then it plateaus and then we come down from all that high. And how do and and obviously you want to keep it interesting enough, but then make sure that they don't feel too different from the other. So it was a lot of okay. Every time I felt stuck, I would look back at that sentence and then read the last two pages and see did I get to where I was getting to here. So I get if I can share one of my favorite authors, Kurt Vonnegut, who did who wrote Slaughterhouse okay. uh, Five, which okay. is one of his favorite stories. But the, the there's a slogan that continues throughout the whole book and it's so it goes and it's about oh. it's about billy pilgrim being in world war ii it's almost semi-autobiographical mm -hmm. but that's almost a staple for him because he would write the story and then at, and the, the, as i say so it goes uh -huh. but that's where he stopped it's almost a marker where he would stop and then he would continue writing again and that's like all right and so it goes and yeah. he'll stop and like okay how far do i get away right. so <laughs> even though it's a it's a slogan that keeps repeating itself I was yeah. like, that's interesting. And yeah. I use that in my novel. I use a, like a little thing. It's like a marker. It's yeah. almost like a book mode. Yeah. Book, so I'm like, okay, that's okay. It's a good way to stop and never decompress where we are now and all that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. even if, if you've been a writer, you kind of almost like, okay, that's a good time to stop and process what we're going with. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, outside of that, um, with comedy, with um, – directing and everything have you done other stuff on film 
So um, I have three short films that I have uh, written, produced, directed to date. So the first one, um, my very, very first one was 911. And this was uh, probably about 2016, 17-ish when I you know, started writing that. And uh, that's basically a product of its time. Um, it was influenced by the... Um, events that happened to Philando Castile unfortunately and then the subsequent people who died from police brutality and um, especially as a black person you go online and you read comments people people always leave comments like oh but we don't know both sides as if that's supposed to excuse why they got shot or, or murdered you know and it's like under no circumstance should people have to lose their lives because of a taillight being out or just something minute that a lot of white people don't get killed for you know yeah and so um the 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 thought with 911 was really just to take it from the again being my first film uh keeping it really really simple minimum minimum actors uh one location so it was from the call center where the uh, uh the woman receives the phone call of somebody who ha- a couple that's been stopped at a traffic stop yeah. and is basically trying to talk them through that situation and, and what that looks like so um that that was the first my first film and um you know it, it did i think it did well considering cuz i had um not really written before so even when i look at when since we were talking about writing here uh my writing growth i can definitely see and feel that from like the first script to what i you know recently done here from the web series and then also i had reached out to uh justin Ide, so justin christopher Ide, um because uh, i had done one of his projects like way 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 back when and i'm like i'm new to this film thing i don't know what to do and i need help and he was just absolutely willing to just be there to support me in terms of helping like pr- produce co-direct 911 because again I'd never done it before and like I don't want to like a fool in front of all these people so please help yeah. me and then um did that together and that was that was again a great experience and and I learned the next project that I did um was what Marilyn didn't know so that actually was the so f- Amanda with Amanda Day, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep, Amanda Day and John Bruce. And so with uh, that one, that was actually the first script that I had written, but then because it seemed like there's a lot going on in terms of you know me putting my producer hat on, I was like, I got to put this on pause and then maybe try something simpler, and that, that's when I wrote 911. But um, so with uh, What Marilyn Didn't Know, that's basically um, uh, following a woman who uncovers a dangerous secret that her husband has been harboring and her trying to figure out what she does with that information so so it was something that um but it's played very quietly yes and which is almost the horror of it is so quiet yes yes so there is um it is it is tragedy of it it is one of those slow burn ones i think a a little bit slow burn and um yeah so it's kind of just her going from this you know beautiful perfect seemingly amazing life to all of a sudden this darkness of now that I know this thing what am I going to do I have a family to protect I have myself to protect I have my image to protect and um again very very still new to writing but the folks who were on there Justin Ide was on there still again Amanda Becker helped me out um Amanda Day was amazing as an actress and just the the caliber of people that I had on on set was was super helpful um, but that was a huge set. It was a lot. 
So then when I was going into my third project, I was like, okay, I want to skinny this down a little bit because it's great to, to, you know, have a lot of space, but yeah, but yeah, it's, it's challenging to be able to, especially when you indie, you're doing almost everything. Even when, even when there are people on set with you, it still feels like you have to AD produce and and all that stuff because you're the ones who knows the answers. You you don't have the luxury of having this, you know, month long pre-production to get to the day of. It's kind of like you cue people in as you're able to. You almost have to think of what could go wrong. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to do, solve all the, you know, what could go wrong. But you're almost like, well, if we don't have that and that and Yes, and the most important thing is always going to be sound. Yes, I know, I know, <laughs> definitely. Um, so, but yeah, but like having that the size crew that we had on what Marilyn didn't know, it it was quite overwhelming. So I'm like, okay, for my next film, I'm going to try and tone it down a little bit in terms of people and to see who are the key roles that I really need because I, I wanted to focus on like skeleton crew as much as possible, right? So yeah. it was smaller, still kept it to one location, which was nice. Uh, like my other two films, which were also just one location. Um, and um, that that third film was happily married after, and that was a comedy. Because uh, <laughs> and and my goal too as a filmmaker is just to again, even though I gravitate towards drama, is just to explore different genres, just to see how it works and 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 how I can how I write for that, how I direct for that, because they they all have their own different styles, you know. It is a very you have different themes and styles but there's almost relationships yes it plays it, a heavy part with your writing absolutely and i'm glad you pointed that out because that is for me the human onus right like yeah. no no person is an island even if they think they're alone whatever you do impacts people no no matter what you know because it could be as simple as you know walking into a department store and smiling at somebody and you made their day but for you as you know being alone you may not think that's a big deal but you affected somebody positively, so yeah. yeah. I love and I love the notion that even with your first film, you're you're not playing it safe. You're dealing with some serious stuff here, mm-hmm. and I think that's a danger, especially for new filmmakers. They don't they just want to like no, just put my toe in the water and just see how it goes. And I have this script script that's not going to offend anybody, and mm-hmm. I just want to have it out there. And I really think you should not play it safe, especially. And I think you're doing that as well with doing with their themes and. Discovery of relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. So even though it can be funny, like happily after, you know, married happy after. Married. Yeah. yeah. Which is almost funny, but it's almost a little bit of a tragedy because it's the sense yes. of, of a delusion, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know because uh, I, I like to joke because, again, the, dra- the the dramatic person in me, like someone has to die somewhere, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Somebody has to kill the cat. Right? You know. Yeah. And and so um, with happy married after, it's like, hmm, should this marriage die? You know, but right. but because uh, it, it is based on um, just the the kind of pedestal that a lot of people put or really more pressure people put into marriages but like everything else it's a relationship that has to be fed that has to be catered to that has to be grown you don't just find that person and then it's perfect and then you're and good. it's all it's almost glamour shot yeah marriage on facebook oh like, absolutely oh, we're having the greatest time ever being married yeah people only yeah. see the highlights yeah. so it was kind of just kind of you know, exploring that a little bit to show that we we do change ourselves for our partners sometimes and sometimes it's warranted other times it's not but then you know at the end of the day honesty and and just the the sheer empathy and care that you have for your partner is what's most important yeah i think that's the most difficult thing is actually writing relationship Mm -hmm. i think my weakness is writing love inserting love Mm -hmm. and i know that's my weakness Mm -hmm. but uh, i'd rather just write 
blowing stuff up and <laughs> action everything because it's, it's a lot easier to write and it's a lot easier to solve than getting and plunging your hands into Americans of a love story. Yeah. They got married and there's an explosion in the background. Yeah. That's like, good enough for me. All right. <laughs> when I think I'm not alone because a lot of stories end with a marriage mm-hmm. because that's hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's easier just to end that way. Just have a big wedding and they're married and then that's the end of the movie. And that's it. Yeah. yeah, I think there's very few movies that were like, all right, let's talk about the marriage. Right. Like marriage story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that was my goal with Happily Married After was to focus on that marriage relationship, you know, um, and and realize how, how, again, just poking fun at things that you think you need to do or, or how perfect a marriage could look like. And, and even just like the, the gender norms in a you know heteronormative um, relationship. It, it was it was fun. I have to say, you should be married to my wife, and then all of a sudden, I'm looking for a pair of scissors and open up a drawer, and she's hiding Oreos for me. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Like, what? Where are the? Oh, shoot. I never thought you opened that drawer. <laughs> that reminds me of one of the scenes in Happy Married After. We we because we used Oreos for that one, but the. <laughs> The, the setup was basically, you know, this couple, they're, they're trying hard to meet their health goals. And uh, so it's uh, Lacey Spark and Kirk Spark. And so, you know, Kirk is the one who's kind of enthusiastic about the gym and working out and, and yeah. just trying to stay healthy. And so, of course, in the middle of the night, um, you know, personally, I have, you know, my cravings here and there. So obviously this character would too. Um, So she sneaks into the kitchen to like (laughs) grab some Oreos that she's hidden away from her husband because he's not supposed to know they're on, they're on a health diet. Um, (laughs) And so he's in the other room and he hears all this rustling and he's like, is there a squirrel in here? (laughs) How did this get in here? (laughs) Right. Because it can't possibly be. No, no, we're, no. We're, we're committed to this. We're right? committed to this healthy lifestyle now. So that was uh, that, that's funny. Um, before we get to break, does your husband watch movies with you? He does. Like we yeah. we enjoy movies together. Uh, Pre pandemic, um, if there was a hit, we'd be in the movie theaters enjoying it. Um, Post now, we just wait for whatever's on streaming, and you know, keep our eyes out for that. Um, there was a, there was a while there where there was a little bit of a lull, so it just yeah. got to a point where you know what because things just felt so dramatic and so heavy it was difficult to emotionally invest in a lot of films so we would honestly this is my habit that he has now taken on but we would watch lifetime movies because again you can get into the characters but you're not emotionally invested i've actually confession i've actually had to start watching it because like again love is a weakness in me now i don't write it but they do a good job with that, right? Well, well, the thing is, because I like, I'm not a rom com person. No, uh, yeah. but the, the most of the ones that we watch, somebody's dying somewhere. So, <laughs> so, so we have like our kill count at the beginning of each movie. Like, how many people you for think a rom com? <laughs> not a horror movie, but a rom com. Who's gonna die? Yeah. yeah, and and so the movies are like, you know. Um, deadly cheerleaders or uh <laughs> or the stepmom from hell you know just those silly movies like that on lifetime and and again it's stuff that you can get invested in in that moment but it doesn't carry with you like a lot of you know the the bigger budget or not i should say big budget but like a lot of the you know hollywood uh, facing type movies do because again there's a lot of emotional stuff out there and um with, with the pandemic and everything that was going on it was just difficult to continue to stay <laughs> right. stay in that especially when you're doing a pandemic you do you yeah lifetime movies are i wouldn't say surface 
Yeah. There's yeah. things, but eventually you consume them. And then you can and go you can, on about you your can day. Move on with move your on. day, exactly. Instead of watching, like uh, I just watched uh, for a critique for my YouTube channel, the Possessor from mm-hmm. David Cronenberg's son Brandon, and that is a lot to absorb. That sits with you, and that sits with you, and it's like, what do I have to watch? Right. <laughs> so, so there is, and I would say there is a benefit for lifetime. Yeah. So, movies, so they're they're, they're, they're light. They're lighter. They're lighter on the lighter side. Even if you know some fake gruesome stuff happens on there, it's again, no no harm, no foul to to your emotional being. <laughs> right, but it's also like that fantasy mix of what do people want, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I'm not going to criticize because a lot of people love those things, and that's why they continue to make them. There's something they're entertaining. That they, I will tell you that that and a glass of moscato. That's my evening. Yeah. How how are these people actually are just repulsive to each other? How <laughs> you know? are they going to get together at the end? How are you going to do that? Right. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break and back more with Allison. Do you read books? Do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife? Is that geese shit? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you have found a home here at the Brook Reading Podcast. Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online, talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. Let's step into some animal feces together. So with directing and everything, how did, why did you get started? How did you get started with the whole process of directing? Yeah. Just plunging into it. Sure. So, um, backstory. Uh, so I'm from Cameroon and, um, for a lot of African families, you have like so many career options. So like doctor, lawyer, engineer, maybe a teacher, you know? And so you Just don't a handful of options. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. don't really get to explore what else could be out there. Cause even if you, you know that, you know, there are movies and stuff like that, you don't really think of that as a career path. But I growing up was always interested in how, you know, just movies, the, the impact that it has on people, how they're made and things like that. And I'd read books and you'd be able to, I'd be able to visualize, oh, this would make such a beautiful movie to be able to watch. And, and I didn't know what that was. Yeah. So it wasn't until like years, years, years later. Um, so I, I got to the US and I was like, okay, well, I know that I wanna be able to be telling stories. Um, Cause again, at the time, this was like um, years before Ava and Issa became popular. But then when I think of career trajectory, I'm like, it's those women. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. But I really want to focus on, you know, um, black content, African content, because we don't really, we only see a certain type on TV. Very limited. Very, it. very limited, you know, and because you, like when I got here and in high school, a lot of the questions are like, do you live in trees? Do you wear pants? And I'm like, where do you think I live? <laughs> you right. know, where it's, do you think well, I we, we regard it, and usually what I taught students is the single story phenomenon yeah where you're like yeah the only you group it into one thing right i came from africa and then you're like you don't ask right. where from africa they no no oh you came from africa it's like, just one big thing right. one, one one big 
quote unquote country or there are questions like uh do you did you have to run from lions and i'm like the first time i ever saw a lion in my life was at the atlanta zoo in 2005 <laughs> you know they're guilty of this single story <laughs> phenomenon exactly like, which happens with a lot of black film content and you're yeah. explaining like yeah. we only get the single story of either there's going to be guns and violence and crime exactly. and everything and we, we there's other avenues to explore yeah so so my goal was to you know when i get to making film i want to be able to tell more than that single story i want to show other facets yeah. of black experience and black life um so uh, around 2000 16 was when I did like my first foray into film um, like like production side because okay. before then um, I had done a film with uh, Jess and I I think it was like in 2000 maybe 14 or so because I thought acting was a way to get into film because like maybe when you get there and then you get that notoriety then at that point you'd be able to Hat, pull the strings and be the producer and things like that. But it's a good step because I think, especially if a director, you want to understand where actors are coming yes. from as well. Yeah. So I did. I did at least appreciate that because even after I did that one acting thing, I was like, I am not an actor. Don't ever do this ever again. Um, <laughs> Same thing with me. I just like I want to before I'm going to be a director. I just want to know what the experience of being an actor. Yes. Like, God, it's, I just can't. I, I appreciate. Yeah. So that made me appreciate that. Oh my oh God. My God how yes. You Oh my God! Yes, you are so vulnerable because I'm like I'm introverted in nature. Most people say that it doesn't it doesn't look like it, but I am introverted in nature. I I get energy from just being by myself. So when you think of having to let go and just be a different person, I'm like I cannot mentally do this. No, not at all. Absolutely not. I like control. You know, so it is a little bit about being honest with yourself. Yes. yes, and no, no, I, I lie to myself all the time. So no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you uh, just try it, I mean, especially if you're directing, like I don't know if you directed, that's it. Yeah. But at least be comfortable doing other aspects of crew. Yes, and realize where they coming from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. So in 2016, um, I came across a woman who had done producing type work and and forward into project management because I'm a project manager um you know educate well, professionally and I was like oh let me look into this some more and and I started to realize the similarities between there and also realize that as a producer you do have some power because again I didn't know that before it was just again doing this research like okay this this makes sense so I was like how do I become a producer and so you know again I'm a as a project manager I plan I think I schedule and um, I was like, okay, well, it looks like everybody gets into this industry by being a production assistant. So I'm going to do that at least because that would, if anything, give me a sense of what the different roles are on crew, give me a sense of language. Because again, every industry has its own language that you have to learn and understand. Oh, yeah. So that was my opportunity to just get my quote unquote film school without going to film school. And, you know, it was great for a little bit. But then um, where I wanted to be in terms of narrative content, um, we don't have a lot of that in Minnesota, especially not ones that are paid, you know. I agree. And because, yeah. um, again, for me at the time, it was I didn't care whether I was paid or not. I, I was like, I just want to learn. I just want exposure. I want to figure out where I fit in and how to make this thing work. But then it got to a point where, you know, it started to hit my pockets and and I wasn't finding those opportunities and it got really frustrating. And, and you know, I'm not a depressive person, but it felt a little bit depressing to not be able to find anything, you know. Right, when you hit that block, you're like, yeah. okay, what's the next step? Because I want to start doing it myself. I've done all the other things, I think, just to get the experiences exactly. and everything. So what's the next elevation before we get? Deep. right because yeah because i'd reach out to people and it's like you know you don't even need to pay me i just want a shadow to understand okay from production assistant i know that we have to you can go to production coordinating how do i get there what do i need to do what kind of stuff do you and i could not find anybody who was willing to do that so um 
at the time I lived in South Minneapolis, my neighbor was like, well, if you're not finding the opportunities that you want, you have to create them yourself. So that's when I started writing. Um, so I, like I said, I did Maryland, what Maryland didn't know first, and then I did 911. And then I was like, okay, well, let me figure out how to make this thing. And it's kind of been uh, it's rolling steam engine since then. Isn't it, it, it? It's a little bit nervous too, especially the first oh my time. God, the yes. first time, it's like, uh, yes. right, you're opening up to what you, right. And I always say every creative project you do is a self portrait. Yes. I'll be a little bit about yourself and you put a little bit of your soul into it. Mm -hmm. And that's my next criticism of, I don't want to say it's a criticism, but it's my evaluation of things. Did you put your soul into this? Right. Rather than trying to make it interesting or good or clever or mm -hmm. snotty, did you put your really into soul into it? And I always say I've seen all your shorts and I've seen it generally you are definitely putting your soul into oh, all the projects you. thank you which is i think it's hard for people to do because like just like acting you have to be honest yeah and, and, and again these stories aren't just stories that i'm telling just because but they mean a lot to me because again like because with 911 in 2000 you know 14 15 16 it felt like every single weekend a black person was dying and i could not understand why people are so scared why are people so wicked and it just it it hurt and you could tell in other film like black filmmakers um work that they were putting out it was the same kind of stuff because we were all feeling the weight and so so that for me was like my outlet and, and i'm like even if you're talking about two sides of a story, this should not be okay. Right. You know, right? this should yeah. not be acceptable of any profession, you know? So, and, and even with, you know, my, what Marilyn uh, didn't know, that one was kind of sparked by, um, uh, when, when you think of, uh, not, not to, not to give, give it away too much, but when you think of, you know, either like a mass shooting or like terroristic acts that have happened on U.S. soil. And more times than not, even though um, POCs get a lot more brunt, like the, a lot more of the brunt for, for that kind of stuff, we're not the ones who do, who do most of it, you know? Yes. It's it's mostly, you know, um, white people who are, who are um, maybe just not happy in their current being, they've been shafted or whatever it is, and it's like, but then they don't get the same kind of flack that POCs get you know, for, for issues in, within this quote unquote their community or, you know, when it's a black person is the whole black community did it, you know, yeah. it's, it's very, very different. So that was, that's what kind of sparked that story. And then I, and then I got tired of just being so depressive all the time. So I did comedy. <laughs> well, isn't it, it's a valley, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, especially when you do such things like, gosh, I, I, I needed to do that. I got it out. Mm -hmm. But let's do. Mm -hmm. I want to stay there, mm -hmm. or go and explore other things. Yeah. And it's, it's it's a question that you have to ask ask yourself because you're the creative person. Do you mm -hmm. want to do something that's a little more light and fun? Yeah. Or I want to stick with this tone. And not to mention, I want to keep my style. Yeah. Right. So there's all yes. those little things that you're telling yourself as you're developing the process. And I think people don't understand that. Like, oh, just sit and write. How easy is that? Mm. And it's not that true because mm -hmm. when you're especially when you're a writer and a creative person and a director. You're always working. Yes. Your brain's always firing. Yes. You're oh my like, God. Yes. Oh, that's a good idea. And then you, you abandon that story that you've been working on and started a new one. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden that didn't work out. So you go back to what you abandoned. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. My favorite, my favorite story is Alfred Hitchcock made the movie to catch a thief. Uh -huh. And that was his way of having a vacation. Oh, he didn't take it all that serious. Obviously he was a filmmaker. He does really good stuff. Yeah. But he, 
he went to French Riviera to make a movie and it was simply just to go on a vacation. That is beautiful. See? Like, I, I would absolutely do that. Make That's the not... movie studio pay for your vacation. That, there you go. They filmed it for about three weeks and it's a great movie. But then after that, the, for a week, they had a great vacation. <laughs> I like the way he thinks. Right. Definitely. Right. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> it's actually, we're making a movie, but eh, at the end of the day. You know, since, since we're here, you know, right. let's just take advantage of this beautiful scenery. They did that with Science of the Lambs. That was one of the first movies that, because they did a lot of heavy stuff in that movie. Mm-hmm. And then director Don Demi at the end. On the entire cast and crew, I don't remember, but I think it was maybe Haiti or whatever, but the end movie, the end of the movie where he calls her on the phone, uh-huh. kind of a lecture, and then yeah. he's walking. They filmed that for a day, and they spend a couple of weeks, just a couple, maybe six, seven days, vacationing. That's nice. Because while we're shooting this movie still. Right, right. Because I think he had actually doing all that serious stuff he needed to kind of. Yeah. Wash it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's where I kind of am at right now too, because I had a feature that I was thinking it's more on the it's not not scary. Um not not I don't know how to describe it because it's not necessarily sci fi, but it is fictional science, so science fiction. Has a little um, bit of mysticism in it? No no mysticism. Oh, it's it's really right. it's really just um so so this was a story that I had written like in two thousand seventeen for it to be like my first feature right. and it's very pandemic based. And of course now that we're coming we we've hit this pandemic, I'm they like, Yeah, lie. well, <laughs> We're doing rewrites. So that's where I'm at right now. Right, because the audience were like, well, I just experienced, you're not really summing what I'm already experiencing. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, that that emotion, because even though there was an emotion behind it that I wanted to you know, hone in on, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just maybe rewrite it so it doesn't really focus too much on the pandemic as it did before, because we've all experienced that. And I think we want something a little bit different. But I'm just trying to figure out how I can tweak it a little bit so that it still maintains some of that... um, that nerve I was trying to hit. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that one I was like, okay, I'm going to have to put that one on pause. Be- and that's why I was like, let me do another comedy because I, I again, I, I've lost a lot this year, last year. And it's like, I just want a little bit of relief. So that was like, I'm going to put that on pause until I feel like I'm, I'm mentally ready to tackle that again and, and get back to that. When you do your, uh, film do you do storyboards for your films um for i'm not asking for a job i, just, <laughs> I, I do storyboards i'm just curious about it because a lot of directors are like no or sometimes or yeah no i i i do because it helps me so mine are like i i went from like doing stick figures to <laughs> to, to like finding but that's something yeah i think storyboards yeah. help that's something yeah so to, to like finding similar tone or, or you know scenes from different movies and Posting this together, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hopefully, especially for ind- independent filmmakers, encourage it because I think there's a great benefit of just sitting down and storyboarding because yeah. it is a visual medium. Oh my god, it makes you think. And like I said, there's I did a storyboard for some. I won't say the person, but all the storyboards I did, they did not do in the movie. And I was like, I'm not insulted. That's yeah. a good catalyst. Like, okay, this is the storyboard, so I don't want this, but that's another avenue. Like, okay, mm-hmm. if you don't want this, maybe you can do that. Yeah, it's such a visual language and how you can talk right. to people. And, yeah, and I think that's definitely part of helping not only like as you prep for production, but then helping at, uh, me as a director to understand what what do I want this to look like and why am I choosing that? And these are the questions that I hate to answer because it's like, but I want everything. But we do not have unlimited time on set. So you, you have to be smart about where you're going to spend that energy and that, that visual frame. Yeah. And so I feel like storyboarding helps a lot with that. It's one of those deceiving things, especially for creative people, that 
what you're going to what's in your mind is never going to translate 100 percent yes. on what you make and and the fact that you said that too like no one else lives in your mind but you <laughs> so you got to let your team know what yeah. to expect what about? Right. <laughs> right. so you got to let your team know what to expect because if at least your dp is able to see it your sound person is able to see it they can get a sense of okay how close can i get what kind of lens do i need and it just helps answer a lot of those questions yeah so i think um I think Alice and I are saying if you want to be a filmmaker, really do a lot of planning. Yes. And get a lot of experience on other different films and yes. work with other directors. Like, I like this director, but I don't want to work that way. Or yes. I want to do it this way or something like that. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing that I feel, especially when you watch other directors work and even just watching like commentary on some certain shows that you've enjoyed or, you know, films that you've enjoyed, you kind of understand why they did a scene a certain way and kind of reverse engineer it and i think from there because again i'm i'm still trying to figure out what my quote-unquote style is I, like i know what my story style is but then right, your theme and, yeah, yeah. They, like my themes i know what those are but then when it comes to, like directing style i'm like uh, may, maybe somebody will tell me at some point because i still don't know but it's like when you when you see other people do their stuff and, and understand why they did it it kind of helps you figure out okay is that something that i want to emulate or is that something i want to stay away from i you know, I agree. One of my favorite screenwriters is Patty Chayefsky. Okay. He written the screenplay. He won it for Network. And he did a lot of other films. He worked in television. And he next, after Network, and it's a great written movie. I said it's one of the best written movies mm. because it's heavily exposition, mm -hmm. but all the exposition sounds natural. It doesn't <sighs> sound like you're That's getting beautiful. a dump. Yeah. And I like how even the dialogue in Network is almost like characters calling out each other because there's almost a point where the character's like, my God, I'm the heart-bitten realist. You're the, supposed to be the fantasy person. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a, almost and they get in a relationship and they're like, oh my God, now we're in act two where we're getting to hate each other. So it's almost like the script knows it's a script. Yes. But it seems natural. And I love that about the movie yeah. Network with Patty Chayowski. If That's you're cool. a screenwriter, it's hard and especially writer, where are you going to put exposition mm -hmm. in your dialogue? Mm -hmm. You need to explain some things to stories. Yes. You can't do an exposition dump like every time for Harry Potter. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you need to have something that you know, it's hard to do. Like, and I still discuss hard to like how I need to have them explain themselves. But yes. I don't want to be like. Without giving away the whole pie. Because nobody comes, hey, what's up, brother? Right? You don't say that to your brother. Right? You say, what's up, dumbass? Hey, right? right? <laughs> say hello, stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it'll, I mean, there's a little bit because Tarantino can go off. Mm -hmm. Those are talk, have dialogue that has nothing to do with the story, but it's interesting to listen to. Yeah. But he also jumps you into, he also trusts the audience to just jump into something. Right. And just have natural conversation yeah and and that's definitely a balance too with you know having not only the verbal cues but then also the visual cues that can help um because that, that's something that i tried to explore a little bit more with um it's not you um was verbal cues because again you yeah. you I am one of those expositionist writers where it's like, I, I, I try not to tell you everything, but I'm like, I feel like I should tell you this at this point because in case you didn't get it, this is where you need to get it. And I, you know, I've gotten feedback like, yeah, this is too much. And so I try to explore, okay, because this is a visual medium, even though I want people to know that she's not really feeling this person, how can I do that without having to write that out? And it's hard to do because mm -hmm. especially with the relationship that's been going on for years, mm -hmm. you're not going to sit and have, conversations for an hour and hours exactly. if you've been in a relationship with somebody for a long time 
you're probably not going to play me same two words to each other. It's right. mostly the nonverbal Exactly, exactly. So it's trying to find that good balance between, you know, um, like you said, walking in and saying, hey, uh, dummy versus <laughs> versus hi, brother. <laughs> or, you know, it could be a playful. You push them because if, you, if you're one of those siblings that likes to play fight with your siblings, then that's what your character is going to be. If it's a little bit more loving, that's what your character could be. So. And it's those little gestures. Yeah, the gestures. Little soft gestures, like mm-hmm. um, Bill Cooper always says, stage acting is driving a bus, and film acting is driving driving a golf cart. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. It's 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 deceiving because a lot of really good film actors, it's like that's it. Mm-hmm. But you don't understand. We almost probably the, did twenty takes of it. Yes. Of yes. Just doing that simple thing. Yes. Just small little. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, one of my favorite things about small, th- small things in movies that make the movies help is the movie Matchstick Men, with Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. being a con artist that has a sense of compulsive behavior, uh-huh. and his partner Sam Rockwell. And there's a scene where we're focusing Nicolas Cage doing his con on the phone, but in the background is Sam Rockwell's character. Now, an average actor would just sit there quietly mm-hmm. and just be a wallpaper mm-hmm. but sam's character knows he's getting excited because they're doing a con and it's working so in the background you can see him as somebody's jumping up and dancing you like, see yes, you're stealing stealing yeah and that's it's not written in the script but that's what he knows about his character mm-hmm. is like that's what i'm getting so he's dancing like yeah steal all the money man. exactly and yeah. and that's part of directing too where i try to tell um my actors well not i try to i tell my actors you know even if maybe this line is not focused on you or you know or maybe you're um part of the conversation just think of how you'd react in real life no one ever just you know sits and waits while the other person well maybe some people do but not everyone just sits and waits for the other person to say something and then it's like oh yeah and then now now I come alive because I have my line to say or my thing to say so it's like always think of what your face is doing what your so that it translates or even what you're thinking in your mind in terms of okay you just heard this news maybe you're, like you said like with Sam Rock on the background he's excited about this con going yeah. uh, you know what they're doing for the con and it's like okay you're not just going to stand there and wait you're going to be reacting. You prefer, right. yeah you're going to be excited you're going to be so it's, it's very much reading the room as an actor you know yeah yeah, I think uh, you had it perfect for happily after you know happily, happily married after, after, married after <laughs> because you, people always know you say your lines we're going to focus on the person saying the lines mm-hmm. but then you had both of them doing very continually even if they're not saying the lines playing the part she's yes. always she's doing the soft gestures like Oh, honey, you're just doing yes. it, right? Even though he's speaking to the camera, but she's also like, "Do it this way, right?" Don't, don't you're, like you and 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 one of the things and then he's just almost insane, <laughs> like. <"You're okay." laughs> and and one of the first, right? oh yeah, one of the first things I love to do with my actors is just do like a a character like understanding like who this person is and sometimes you know there's some things that maybe I haven't thought about in terms of like the character's background but it's like having that conversation it's like this this is who they are and this is why they're this way and this is how you have to think and behave and move and I think that definitely helps a lot of actors too when they finally do get on set because they know okay Lacey is a type A person (laughs) you know and you can tell just from Miami. the way she, right, yeah, exactly. She's got everything color coded and she, filed. And she shares her Google calendar with her husband to make sure he doesn't miss stuff, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's just those things where it's like, okay, you understand 
who she is as a person, go-getter, ambitious and whatnot. Therefore, when you're sitting down, you're not just going to, you know, wait for your husband to talk. You're, you're going to make sure that he's doing it right because th this um, is yeah. <laughs> this is this me. Way, right? Exactly. This is me managing the situation as my character. So, you know. I actually get, catch myself when I, because if I write enough, when I write a lot, I share this with Peter Groenham, if I do a lot of script and all of a sudden I'm, all right, let's go visit people and hang out with them and I have a conversation with them. I was like, no, we should go this way. <laughs> so I get trapped in almost like in real life, like, oh, the dialogue should go this way. Like, dang it. Now I'm just being awkward in this party. <laughs> <laughs> but right, I think good acting is all part of it right mm -hmm. the character even though we're not main focus of the character but yes like we're still part of this yeah you're still in that environment and and some even when i watch shows or watch movies sometimes i pay attention to like the secondary people in the room to see like what they're doing if whoever's part of the cast because it's just interesting to see how they perform in that moment um even if we know that they're not the central person to that story at this moment one of my favorite, if I can share before mm -hmm. we go, uh, the Maltese Falcon, um, Maltese. where uh, Sam Spade, Humphrey Bogart, meets up with his client, Bridget O'Shaughnessy, and she's in a hotel room. Yeah. And he's he already knows what's transpired. She's already knows she's a little bit of hot water. And John Houston, the director, is like, how can I make this a little more effective? He told her, before we do this to take, why don't you run up the steps mm -hmm. about five minutes before mm -hmm. we do it? So now if you see the movie, she's a little bit out of breath. And... As an audience, you're like, oh, she's a little more worried, a little more, oh, mm -hmm. hi, how you doing? But he knew that if you're really physically out of breath, it's still effective. Yes. Right? It's not, I don't think it's deceiving, but it's still kind of, right. hi, hi, yeah. hi, how you doing? Sit down, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I love that discovery that he made her run steps before they did the take. That's awesome. And, and and I do that sometimes too where it's like, okay, if I'm trying to get something out of someone that I'm not seeing, it's like, we're going to have you do this first and then we'll we'll jump right in. And then one for safety. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> always, always one for safety. I always do one for safety and one for silliness because sometimes the silliness. You get gold. You get gold. Yeah. Uh, Gary Marshall did that for all for Pretty Woman. Really? Oh, or, that with, especially with the, I know the jewelry one was like a big one, right? That was just for that Goofy. <laughs> and then he kept it in the movie. <laughs> it, wor it works. It works, right? Yeah. Yes. Allison, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I, I love talking with other creative people and I hope people get the joy of listening and want to do creative too. Now, I, after talking with you, I want to get back to working on my project. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you for coming. Before we go, how can people find your works again? Yes. So, um, my website is called uh, Genie Productions. So, that's D-J-I-N-I Productions.com. And then I am on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Twitter, we had a character limit, so the S at the end of productions had to fall off. So it's Genie Production on Twitter, but um, at least for the, the the production company that's on there. And then for my um, project, so 911, What Marilyn Didn't Know, Happily Married After, and then eventually It's Not You that's coming up. Um, they all have their Facebook pages, so you're welcome to like those. Um, it's not used currently in post-production, so um, the goal is to have that up in spring. Um, it's going to be on YouTube, uh, accessible to everyone. So we're going to gonna find this, the web series, It's Not You, on YouTube. On YouTube, yep. So it'll be on my website and on YouTube. Um, but yeah, if you're just curious about um, stuff, as we, information as we, as we prep for that, uh, definitely feel free to like all those Facebook pages. Wonderful. Well, we're definitely looking forward to it. We'd love to have you come back maybe when the uh, the series comes yeah, back yeah, in production. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Talk about it. Uh, 
Allison, thank you again. And Allison, you know it's not over till the guests say it's over. It is over. There we go. <laughs>